Well, since everyone's been talking about it, I'll go ahead and talk about it too. Um, the marriage weekend was really good. I think one of the most interesting things for me was going into Dollar Tree and buying 25 hot red lipsticks <laughs> and eight Valentine's balloons. And then I tell the lady, it's for church. So... <laughs> said, where do you go? I said, First Baptist. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, we are filled in a world full of bad news, aren't we? I remember as a kid turning on the news with my parents. Actually, they would turn it on and I would just kind of listen to their commentary. And if you turn on the news, what you see is them reporting things that have happened in the world. We have Facebook groups on this too, the Franklin County Community Watch. And we post things that are happening. We know there was an accident at 47 and 50. We know what's happening in our neighborhoods because we get on our neighborhood watch. The world is really lacking something like good news, isn't it? That's why if you would do a Google search, you would see, because I did this, in your, your search results, what you would see is you would see CNN, Today, NBC, Fox News. They all have a separate category, not on the main page, mind you, a separate category for good news. Now, I think it's very subjective in wanting to know what is actually good news because I read through a lot of those stories and they weren't all good news. News Channel 4, if you watch that, some of you might remember this. Um, they used to have a segment called Good News for a Change. Right? We live in a world that's just bombarded with bad news. And sometimes we just need some good news, don't we? We need a little good news. What is the good news? I'm hoping to and praying that I can unpack that for you this morning. Because here's the thing. We use a word like gospel and good news so often that it can kind of lose its luster. It's a very cliche and catchworthy term now in many churches and even the curriculum we use. I remember as a young man, I was 12 years old, and I had gone to High Hill three or four years. This was back when we had triple bunks. Do you remember that? Like there was no OSHA approval there. There was no safety at all. The camp director at the time built a heater for the pool that you plugged into an outlet, okay? <laughs> I never wore a helmet riding my bike. Maybe that's part of the problem today. <laughs> and now we have helmets and Germex, and my, my uh, eight-year-old, who's really intelligent, um, when it comes to mathematics and, and understanding. He, he's really intelligent, and he's a germaphobe, and I was a germaphobe, and you may have been a germaphobe until you have kids. And then you have kids, you're like, oh, it's all, I don't even care, pick it up. Is this chocolate, or is this, um, okay, we'll just. <laughs> My old Graham, who's a germaphobe, we went to Sonic on a Wednesday night after church one time, and um, we got him ice cream cones, and he dripped some of his ice cream on the, we were sitting at the, the metal tables that have the rubber over the top, and he drips him on and he goes, I, I'm quoting verbatim, I'm the smartest person in the world as he proceeds to reach down and lick the ice cream off the used table. <laughs> uh, smart and common sense don't always go hand in hand, do they? But I remember as a 12-year-old, 
going to High Hill, triple bunks. And you always got in the top bunk. By the end of the week, you were sagging. And I remember camp groups from St. Louis Christian College and Ozark and, and all these. I remember the one guy, right? I don't remember his name, but I remember the thing he said. He always says, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. And I was 12 years old. And I had gone there a few years. And I had gone to First Christian Washington. And I had heard the gospel preached. I had heard the Bible preached. And it was when I was 12, I finally understood that I don't have all the answers in the world. That I need a Savior because there's sin in my life that I can't conquer. And it was August 8th, 1988 when I got baptized in the old pool that was unlevel. But can I tell you something about my life? That, that's kind of where it ended. That's kind of where the good news for my life, it started there, but it never proceeded to take root in my heart where it was something that I lived out each and every day. I got a NIV student Bible and I read it and I read primarily the New Testament. Um, I wore that thing out and I wanted to know who Jesus was. And I wanted to be good. I just wanted to be good enough. Can you relate? So often the gospel that we preach, the good news of Jesus Christ is simply the entrance into the kingdom of heaven and that's where we leave it and I think we do God a disservice because we buy into the lie that if I'm just good enough, God will still love me. This morning, I'm hoping to unpack this a little more because here's the truth. The gospel is important to you today, just as important, probably more important as it was the day you put your faith in Jesus. Because we have these things in us, these things that, were, that are called hearts, that are constantly at war and at tension with fighting with Trusting in the work of Jesus and trusting in my own. And so often, it's not that it's even a 50-50 scale, but we put so much weight into what we can do, and we diminish the work of Jesus. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Good news. What is the good news? The good news is that we need redemption. We love stories of redemption, don't we? I mean, not only Christians, but non-Christians alike love stories of redemption. If you go to Hollywood, if you go to the movies and you watch a movie, primarily 98% of movies have a theme of redemption, except the Joker. <laughs> I'm a Batman guy. Like that's, like he, that's, my, that's, my, that's my dude, okay? I did not see that movie. That's a whole different sermon because I'm trying to guard what's in here and I don't want to I don't want to put on a pedestal things that have no redemption. Some of the movies that come to mind are Schindler's List. You remember this movie? Black and White, Steven Spielberg, The Holocaust, World War II. And Schindler meets, he's a businessman and he meets these Jews that are working for him and he doesn't quite understand it. By the end of the movie, he finally gets it and he's trying to save as many as he can. It's redemption. I think of Cinderella Man, right? This boxer who's down and out during the Great Depression, and he gets the win. Um, I do not like to watch the Kendrick Brothers movies, okay? These are the Christian guys that put out like Fireproof and War Room and the new one with Priscilla Shy. Christine really wants me to watch them with, with her, and I did one time. One time. We went with friends to this movie called With Arrows. This is about parents and how our faith impacts our children in ways you could never understand. And, you know, it's like with the Kendrick brothers, 
One st- we just need one story, one plot line, one story of redemption. Bring us up, drop us down, and then finish us off. What they do for an hour and a half is every 10 minutes, up, down, up, down. Like, you, you cry the whole time. Like, I didn't come here to cry, okay? This is, so I avoid those movies. I'm not saying you should. But my favorite movie of all time of redemption, Star Wars. <laughs> I'm not talking prequels. I'm not talking the newest ones. I'm talking four, five, and six. Can I get an amen? <laughs> my childhood. Right? And we know the ending and the whole plot of this, right? is there's Darth Vader who was once good, who's now bad, he's on the dark side, and he's got his son, Luke Skywalker, who's developing the force. And the emperor wants Darth Vader to get his son because he sees the power that he has, and they can control and rule the universe. And the whole time you're like, Luke is like, Dad, I know, there, you know, I know there's good in you. I know there's still good in you. And you're like, yes, I, I hope there's good in you because you're a bad man. And at the end of the movie, we see redemption because the power of good overcomes the power of darkness in his heart and he throws the emperor down and he dies on the good side one of my favorite halloweens ever was this one this is about three years ago those are my kids all all star wars all of them. There, Piper's even in there. She's on Robbie's back. He was Luke Skywalker. If you remember in episode five when he's training, she had the Yoda hat and she was on his back like Yoda was. <laughs> I've got Ray up there, Kylo Ren, Darth Vader, two Luke Skywalkers and Yoda. Best, best Halloween ever. We love stories of redemption. So it brings me back to my main point, is what is the gospel? Can we ask this question? What is the gospel? I've had conversations, and if I came up to ask you, could you articulate and tell me what the gospel is? I'd be really curious of your answers. Because I think we need to be re-educated on what it actually is. I was having a conversation with a young man not too long ago, and I was like, man, let's, let's start a discipling relationship. I want to spend time with you, and I want to pour into you. I want to see what Jesus can do in your life. And we were talking, and I said, here's the thing. We have to make the gospel at the center of all that we do. And he's like, man, I just don't understand that. I said, that's a great question. Tell me why you don't understand that. He says, well, I mean, how do we make that the center? Isn't the gospels just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And something resonated in my mind like oh oh, we've got some deeper things to talk about don't we i said no if you grasp what the gospel is that it's not just these books that talk about jesus it's actually jesus and if he's the center of your life listen it empowers you for all of life it's not just an entrance into the kingdom of god it's constantly renewal in jesus the gospel is this, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, Paul had to write to the Corinthian church. Now you look at the, the letters Paul wrote on the side note. He wrote to these churches that he had primarily planted and started. And they were bad. Okay, you think, you think church, your experience in church has been bad? Nothing like this, okay? Like, there's been sermon series called Church Churches Gone Wild about Corinthian church. Paul's writing these letters to remind them, to encourage them, to say, hey, this is what we believe. There's wolves coming in. You're going a different direction. We have to stay centered. And of all the things in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, he says this, For I delivered to you as of 
first importance. This comes first. We've got to get this. What I also received, here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. The word gospel in the Greek, what it actually means, it gets its root from the word evangel. And what this really means is a good reward, a good tidings, good news. There's one story of good news, and it's that Jesus came and that he died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Let me tell you something. I hope and pray that that message never gets old in your ears and in your heart. May it never be said of us that we forgot what was of first importance that Jesus came to do this life. Now, I want to share with you this picture. We might be putting this in the children's ministry. This is what we call notebook theology. This is what we call how to share the gospel with someone. But see, you have to own this first. You have to understand this. You have to let this take root in your heart every morning of every day. As you wake up, you have to say, I am deeply loved by the Father because of Jesus. I'm not deeply loved because of my credit score. I'm not deeply loved because of my job, the cars that I drive, the house that I live in, the street that I live in, or the lack thereof. My accomplishments, I am deeply loved because of Jesus. Not because of anything you could do. This is one of those prayers that I'm constantly trying to remind myself every morning. Wake up, God. Thank you for loving me so deeply in Jesus. This is simply a way to explain the gospel. The arrow, you can do on a napkin, you can write an arrow down. You know what that means? Jesus came. Jesus lived. Then you've got the cross. Jesus died. Then you've got the tomb. Jesus was buried. You've got the arrow up. Jesus ascended to heaven, sent his spirit to start and empower his church. And the last arrow, he's coming back. We have taught this to our kids. We have taught this in, in other churches. And kids can grasp this. <laughs> like we sometimes we make it so complicated that we forget but I'm telling you this is good news that you need to hear this is good news that you need to share this is good news that you need to put down deep into the, the bed of your heart Romans 5, 6, and 8 says this for a while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us like, these are some of my favorite verses. We think that coming to Christ shows weakness, but let me tell you something. In God's economy, everything is backwards. It's in our weakness that we have strength, and it's not our own strength, it's the strength of him. While we were still weak, while you were still weak, can we personalize this? At the right time. Not 100 years ago, not 5,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, at the right time when everything was in place according to God's plan. While we were weak, he came and he died for, guess what, the ungodly. 
I pulled out the verse in the middle there, and the middle verse says that he died for the ungodly, and it's that that scarcely would a man die for someone who is good, but never for someone who is ungodly. Like, Christ did this for you. Well, we were still sinners. Not when we come to Jesus and say, well, I'm going to come to you once I get everything put together. Let me get my house in order, and then I'll come to you. This is exactly the opposite thing to do. Because the truth is, if you and I are honest, we don't ever have everything together. So we come to Jesus relying on his work. 1 John 4.10 the Apostle John, the Apostle of love, who was also, before Jesus wrecked his life, was the same brother of thunder who called down, Lord, let's call down fire and brimstone on these people for not believing in you. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. You see, what Jesus did to John was he turned him from one of pouring down God's wrath to the gospel and the, or the Apostle of love. And the Apostle of Love writes this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. He loved you first. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, I'm going to do a little work here with you, okay? This word propitiation, it's very unique to the New Testament. You don't find this word coming up often at the time the scriptures were written. This word propitiation, it's where we get the idea of big theological concept. I teach my kids this, okay, we're weird. <laughs> PSA, not public service announcement, but penal substitutionary atonement. See, this word propitiation, what it means is that Jesus not only took your place, but he absorbed the wrath of God that he had stored up to pour out on the sins of those who have offended a holy and righteous God. It's very unique. The engineers at NASA, you can, you can search this. I'm not making this up. When you send out a shuttle, you have to build the shuttle in such a way that it has enough power and boost to get out of our atmosphere. And as it's leaving and entering the atmosphere, it's very hot. And in order for us to get our astronauts back in, they had to create this material that was so strong that it would withstand the heat coming in or otherwise they would be disintegrated. They have this shield, this heat shield. Do you know what they called the heat shield? The propitiation shield. The propitiation shield. Why? Because it's protecting those astronauts within the shuttle as they enter back into orbit from the heat that would consume them. This is what we call penal substitutionary atonement. That on the cross, and see when Jesus saw the cross, when he's in the garden and he's got the cup and he says, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but if not, may your will be done. He's saying this and we think, oh, it's a cup of wine or juice. Do you know what that cup was? It's in reference to Revelation that there are these cups that God has stored up we don't like to talk about this, but John talked about hell a couple weeks, weeks ago, so I'm going for it. <laughs> what we fail to understand is that we could never enter God's presence on our best day. 
your best day. You could never enter his presence. You would be destroyed. Revelation talks about these bowls that he has stored up. His wrath. Why his wrath? Like We don't like to talk about his wrath, but his wrath is in response to his goodness. That there has to be justice in this world. There has to be justice towards those who have offended a holy and righteous God. And Jesus is in the garden saying, Lord, if this cup pass from me, what he's saying is, when I go to the cross, the cup that's going to be poured out, your wrath is going to be absorbed by Jesus on the cross. He absorbed it so that you and I don't have to. He took the punishment so you and I don't have to. That's so freeing. That's so liberating. That's something that is good news that we tell people about. I have a picture that I thought was a great rendition of this. Jesus on the cross. As he's dying, God's pouring out his wrath for the sins of the world. It's our propitiation shield. He protects us. This is what we call penal substitutionary atonement. You see, all through the Old Testament, all the priests, they'd have a day of atonement every year and they'd bring in these sheep and these goats and they would have to be pure and perfect and they would slaughter them and they would take their blood because there's life in the blood and our sin is so awful to God. Even the smallest of sins. Like, I used to believe I was a good person. Then I read the Bible. And I saw that I was not a very good person. Like, like I have neighbors, I have friends that are not Christians. And by all accounts, they're good people. They even tithe to charities, 10%. And they help other people. And they're fun to be around. There's no difference between me and them when it all comes down to it, except for I have put my faith in Christ. And I wonder, are we just going through life trying to be good? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the, the heart is wicked above all else. And I thought, I don't want to believe that. Then I take a moment to think about my mind, my thoughts, my heart, and I thought, oh, it's true, right? Like, <laughs> you read the Bible, and you're like, it's true, it's true, it's true. This is so revealing, but it's such good news because it points us to a Savior who did for us what we couldn't do, who absorbed the wrath of God that we couldn't absorb, even on our best day. So Jesus had to take our place like the lambs. They did this one day of atonement. They bring the lambs in and they slaughter them. They pour them over the altar. And this was not accepting to God. It was just in place of until Jesus come. The great high priest who offered a sacrifice, what Hebrews says, once and for all. One time. He took our place. Without Jesus on the cross, we, there's a penalty for our sin. And guess what? When the piper comes, you've got to pay the piper. And, the, and your payment is your life. Yet Jesus took our penalty, substituted himself in our place to make us at one with God. And God accepted it. So we wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, help me believe that I'm deeply loved by you because of Jesus. That is penal substitutionary atonement. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? I like what Martin Luther said. Uh, kicked off the Reformation. He said that this scripture here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, 
He says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, who was without sin, to be sin on the cross, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus was righteous in every way. He fulfilled the law perfectly, even though he didn't have to. He did the work perfectly for all time, once and for all. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. That God takes what Jesus did for us and what we can never do, and he exchanges it. What a beautiful picture that God would exchange his life from mine. That's the good news. I want to share with you three ways that the gospel can impact us. Because here's the truth. If I really wrestle and make the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his work on my behalf, the center of my life, guess what it does? It gives me purpose in life. I look at my family not in a way It says, I'm just the dad, I'm just the husband, I have to work, I have to provide. I look at them through gospel lenses and say, I'm here to love them, I'm here to serve them. It gives my family purpose. It gives my marriage purpose. That if I'm to be like Christ because of what he did for me, then I willingly lay my life down for her. It gives my work purpose. It's not just a job to pay the bills to go on vacations but it's an opportunity that God uniquely created for you at this time and place that you can reach those people with the good news. The same spirit, Romans 8, 11 says, that raised Jesus from the dead, guess what? Lives in you. Don't tell me you're an introvert. I'm an introvert. I'm also an extrovert. I'm kind of weird. I will go home after church today and I will get in bed and I will crawl in a little ball. Leave me alone. God made you. He formed you. He gave you that personality. Don't dismiss what, if he can raise Jesus from the dead, what can he not do in your life? How can he not use your mouth to speak, your hands to serve, your ears to hear? Our recreational leagues with our kids, The gospel gives you purpose because you know you're not just there trying to see if little Johnny can become a professional by the time he's 18. He won't. (laughs) He probably won't even go to college on a scholarship. But those parents are uniquely placed there because your child's on that team. Maybe you just get to know people. Maybe you just listen to them. Maybe you invite them over to your house. For dinner? Whoa. When we go to Moto Mart to get my coffee in the morning, the gospel gives me purpose. I don't just go there to get my coffee and leave, but I see that Casey actually works there. I think he should work at the other gas station. <laughs> but I know his name because he has it on his shirt, so I don't even have to ask his name. Hey, Casey, how's it going this morning? I do that because the gospel moves me to do that because I don't know where Casey stands before a holy and righteous God. I'm not just getting coffee. I'm building a relationship. We've talked about this in staff meeting a little bit, something we want to encourage you to do. It's easy to remember. It's called pi squared. Okay, like the P-I-I, P 
P-I squared. Do you know what this stands for? As the gospel motivates us in all of life to live for a purpose, to remind ourselves who we are, but also to motivate us to take this good news to others. That when I go to the Moto Mart with Casey, I'm praying for him. That's P. I'm investing in him by asking him about his life. And eventually, I'm going to invite him. Pray, invest, invite. You see, when you go to Frikes, you can know their names. And you can go in there with intention. Yeah, I had to get my groceries, but I'm also going to see, Lord, where are you working? Who can I pray, invest, and invite in? You see, the gospel should empower you to live for his kingdom. So there are three things I want to hit on real quick. The gospel for you and I means we rest because Jesus took my place. What do I mean by rest? I mean this. Romans 8, 1 says, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what this means? You can rest in the work of God and Jesus because he did it for you. So even when you mess up, and you will, even when you talk to your spouse in the way you shouldn't, even when you cheat on that test, even when you break the speed limit, and I know no one in here does that, even when you have the attitude, even when your mind thinks things that it shouldn't think, and your hands go places they shouldn't go, guess what? Jesus absorbed that on the cross. So you rest in his work, not your own. It motivates you to holiness. It doesn't bear down on you. It bears down on your heart to know that I am loved in the Father. And so all my sins, past, present, and future, were taken on the cross. We rest in Jesus because he took our place. I'm sorry I messed that up. We remember. We remember that Jesus took our place and pay for those sins. We rest. The second thing is we rest because Jesus finished the work that you and I couldn't. Once for all, all time. He doesn't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You just have to believe. You have to trust. Put your faith in him. Continually putting your faith in his works because we want to fight against that, don't we? We want to fight and we want to say, I'm just going to do better today. You know, tomorrow I'm just going to do better tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and we fail again. Guess what? God knew that. He made you. He understands you're broken and you're frail and that you needed a Savior. So we rest in the work of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 22 says this, He committed, this is Jesus, no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And on that, put that deep in the storehouses of your heart. Hebrews 10, 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time, he does not have to continually go back to the altar. God accepted it one time, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. And what did Jesus do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. You know what that means? It means he's done with the work. He did it. Yeah. It's like when you get home from work, 
You want to get that lazy boy and you want to sit down. My day's done, right? On a side note, dads, your day's not done until the wife gets a break, the dinner's made, dishes are done, the kids get played with their homework's done, your wife gets time with you, then you can sit down and usually you're probably ready for bed. So for you, it will be different. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. We rest because Jesus finished. Exclamation point, period. Stamp it. He finished it. And then the last thing we do is this. We respond. Because Jesus empowers his followers. It's a message we proclaim, and it's something that empowers us to live our lives. I want to, I want to read you some scriptures from Philippians chapter 2. And I'll close it up here. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, is there encouragement in Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any participation in the Spirit? Spirit working in us? Any affection and sympathy? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's hard. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is yours in Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That should keep you up at night. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, a human being, made of dirt and dust, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We respond. How do we respond? We know that when Jesus is working in our lives we're able to have the same mind. We're able to sympathize. We're able to serve. We're able to love one another. We're able to do things that we couldn't do on our own because we're selfish. And our intuition in our heart tells us, me, me, me. And Jesus says, I've come for you. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, although he had every right. Every right. He puts a towel around his waist, gets on his knees, washes the feet of his disciples, even the one who would betray him. The gospel empowers his followers because we do this on behalf of him. We love because he loved us. We serve because he served us. We empathize because he had empathy towards us. The gospel, it is good news. It is good news every day. I pray that you would wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you. 
may I never forget the work of Jesus for me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to encourage you as they begin to play. There are other ways we respond, right? The obvious thing is for those of us in this room right now who are clutching the seat in front of us, the Spirit is convicting your heart and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus. Your response should be, Lord, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. And so if that's you, you come talk to me or John or Alan or just find somebody and share with them. We've got people in the back praying. Find them. They've got lanyards. Find someone next to you. You share that with them. We want to celebrate because only God can do that. He's a miracle worker. But that's not only our response, right? Like, the response is for every person in this room. Like, we need to respond to Jesus every day. You need to respond to him. Some of the response you may have this morning is, you know what? I have I've been coming to this church and I've not served. We've got plenty of ways for you to serve. Maybe you've lacked community and so you don't get involved in anything. Guess what? We're starting community groups so that you can have this fellowship that is a participation of the Spirit at work in the life of his believers. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's your response is, Lord, I'm going to join a group, even if I feel uncomfortable. Maybe your response is simply looking at your world differently. Maybe it's, I'm going to look at my friends at school differently. Like maybe you're the only person that can share Jesus with them because I can't, but you can. Maybe it's those people at work that God has uniquely placed you. Maybe your response is, Lord, open a door for me to share Christ with them. Maybe the response is, Lord, show me because sometimes I have a hard time believing it. Maybe doubt creeps in. Or maybe we're too quick to forget. But each of us in this room should respond to Jesus every day. And I'm asking you to respond this morning. Today. Talk to somebody about it. Talk to your wife. Talk to your husband. Talk to your kids. Talk to a friend. I believe that the church through Jesus Christ is the only hope this world has. That's you. (laughs) Do you want to see union changed? Do you want to see darkness flipped? Then it's the people of the church inspired by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, carrying this message. I'm going to pray, and um, I've got a response to make too. If I'm honest with you, I just can go through life and just completely forget, and I lean on my own abilities. And that's sinful, and that's wrong. So I confess to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Change me. Let's pray, we'll worship, and we'll close out our service. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. This is the good news that you brought into this world. 
Lord, that from the moment before you even created it, Lord, this was your plan. You knew that you would send a rescuer, someone to redeem us, someone to restore us, someone to take our place. Lord, someone to finish the work that we couldn't do on our own, that we could never do. So God, I pray, Lord, that the gospel would not become a cliche word, but it would take root in the hearts and lives of your people. God, for those of us needing to respond to you in faith this morning, Lord, move in us. Move in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name.